Hi, this is John Curry. Today I'm sitting with Marilyn Stallworth. Marilyn, good to see you. Thank you. Good to be here. We've talked many times about doing this presentation either in front of a group or a recording like this. What Marilyn's going to share with you today is her story about what she went through when her husband Bill died October of 2014. And I'm going to give you kind of an overview and then we'll turn it over to Marilyn and then I'm going to guide her by asking questions. But they had done a great job of planning over the years, financially speaking. And what Marilyn's going to share with you is what she went through after the fact when she realized that she had lost her partner in life. And then what happened when she had to deal with the process that you go through when you go to a funeral home. And we both may have a little bit of problem going through this because it's a touchy subject, as you can imagine, very emotional. And on top of that, my father just died August 15th. And I will tell you that what you're about to hear from Marilyn was the catalyst in helping me help my mom and dad prepare for the end. And fortunately, we had nine months because my dad was here in Tallahassee in November of 2014 having surgery to um, remove his left femur because of cancer. And when he went home, he was never able to go anywhere anymore and died. And my mom and dad were married 50 years and nine months. And my mom took care of him all those years. I mean, she truly took care of him. That's amazing. And she's going through a tough time right now. And that's what motivated me, Marilyn, to say, look, we've been talking about this. Let's do it. Because there are a lot of people out there that would benefit from hearing your story. Let's start with why. Tell, Tell me this. Why... Why is it that you're willing to take the time and share your story with others? Because I know every time we talk about this, it's very emotional for you. So what's your why? Why are you doing this? Well, I just know all the emotional ups and downs that I went through. And some of them could have been lessened, if not quite so bad, if I had done a little bit more preparation or had... Uh, known what to expect. I, I guess I didn't know what to expect, and I should have because uh, my mom had died, and I was there when all the arrangements were made. My dad, my brother, uh, but none of those times was I the one that the f- people in the funeral home would look at and ask me the question directly. So I didn't realize what kind of an emotional burden it was going to be. So this time. Uh, of course, Bill's death the day he died was absolutely the worst day. But I think the second worst day in this whole process was the day that the funeral home called and said, you need to come in today. And so I went in and I had Bill's two sisters there. And my son went along because he uh, he wanted to know he's the oldest and he would be the one that would go in to that room when it's my turn. And when I got in there and every time they would ask me a question, emotionally I couldn't answer some of the most simplest questions the the easy ones and after going through that whole hour or hour and a half whatever it was it seemed like a full day but it wasn't (laughs) Um, I realized at that time that my son was going to have to do the same thing when I passed away and that just killed me and I thought I have to make this easier for him and that's why I'm doing it because if I can if what I say is important enough to someone for them to take it to heart and to follow through, then at least they'll be prepared. They'll have 90% of what they're going to go through that day done already, and it won't be such a, a, 
uh, emotional time for them. It'll help them get through it. And that's why I want to do it for for my son, which I am doing, but for every, anyone else that might listen. Well, <clears throat> just so you know, because of the information you've shared with me over the last year, we've incorporated some of those very things in helping our clients. We're asking them questions, you know, have you planned for this? Have, have you made, you don't have to have like your plot and your casket and all done, but have you thought about this? And we're actually helping them get organized nowhere near to the degree that you have, which I hope you'll be comfortable sharing more about how much you've done with that. What What is it you want people to know that they can do when this is done? When they listen to this, what is it you hope that they'll be able to take away from this? Well, it's kind of like um, when a person dies and you have to go through that, then you see all the things that are going to take place. So I guess what I hope that they would realize is that um, there are a lot of preparation, a lot of things you can do ahead of time, and that if you do those, if you sit down with your loved one and you talk through some of this, because we're all going to die, it's not like if you don't talk about it, it's not going to happen. That's so true. Yeah, (laughs) it would be nice, but that's not the way it is. So I, I guess that really what I want them to take away is that, you know, like you said, burial plot. If you have done some of th- those things, that's great. Uh, like your living balance sheet. Uh, when we looked at that in writing, something about in writing is more important than if you just talk about it, uh, you realize that things are not already in place. Uh, and the losing of a loved one is so hard anyway. Wouldn't you want to at least do what you can ahead of time so that when it happens, it's not something that's going to take you five years to recover from. You know, maybe you'll get through this a lot easier. And, and that's really what I want them to take away is that don't wait till the last minute. There's so many things that you can do now to prepare yourself or to prepare for those who are going to be taking going through this process after you die. That's a, that's a great outcome. You mentioned the living balance sheet. I need to explain what that is because our listeners won't know what that is. (laughs) The living balance sheet, folks, is the planning process that we use in our firm. We use it across the nation with Guardian. In fact, Guardian is the creator of it. And it's a system that deals with four financial domains, your protection, everything from car insurance, health insurance, your, your legal documents, wills, living wills, life insurance, and the protection department. Then we look at assets, savings, investments, retirement planning, business interest, real estate. And then we look at liabilities. That's what you owe, debt, taxes, mortgages. And then we look at cash flow. <clears throat> and we, we help our clients get a better picture of where they are. And in a few minutes, Marilyn, I hope that we can talk a little bit about the financial side because you and Bill did an outstanding job of saving money, planning way, way better than most people. And I remember you telling me that even with all of that, and having the living balance sheet that the you still weren't prepared for the toughest part, which was the, I remember you, you making a comment about, okay, which hymn to sing, what types mm-hmm. of flowers, things like that. Yeah. So I want to get into that in a moment, but I just want to clarify that the living balance sheet is a planning process that you and Bill use to help you get organized. And we'll come back to that later because this is not about that. It's about you and your planning. But I think it would help our, our listeners to understand our background how did we first meet? Do you remember when we first met? I remember the place, and I remember that we, Bill and I came. We were not married yet. We came for your seminar, 
because you know, we, we thought we knew what we were doing, huh? uh, but we wanted to find out more and find out how we could be better prepared and, and use our money a little bit more wisely. That was October of 1981 <laughs> at the old Capitol Inn on the Parkway. Mm-hmm. That's where we held it. And I remember very clearly, I can tell you where you and Bill and Judy were sitting. Oh, that's scary. <laughs> As I faced the audience, the two of you were toward the back. I don't think you're in the very back row, but you were toward your left-hand side of the room. <clears throat> I remember that. I've always remembered the three of you very fondly. I know we were in the back. That's where we always sat. <laughs> I, know, I know right where you are. I remember. And uh, But what I would like you to do, if you would, tell, there was a retirement seminar uh, specifically for members of the Florida Retirement System that evening. Mm-hmm. But uh, tell our listeners where you worked, what type of work you did, uh, when you retired, things like that, and, and how you and Bill met. Well, all th- Bill, Judy, and I, uh, Bill's sister Judy, we all were in the, com- in the computers. We, we worked with computers. And uh, Bill and I both worked at what was then called Department of Labor and Employment Security. Since then, it's changed names a couple times, and actually now it doesn't even exist anymore. I was told Bill that when we left, when we both retired, it just kind of fell apart. But I don't think that's true. They couldn't do it without you, right? <laughs> but we were in the in the computer center, and uh, Bill and I both worked there, and we just got to know each other. I was divorced at the time, and we just. I don't know. We just seemed to click as friends. And then after that, uh, we dated then for six years. And finally, we decided that perhaps this was okay. We were keepers. And so we got married. <laughs> and the thrill for me in that is a sense that both of you had become clients mm-hmm. over the, that time period. And it was just great to see the two of you get married. It was nice to have the same financial planner, too, because then we could agree on things and listen to the same things. It did make it easier, didn't it? It did. It it sure did. sure did. When did you retire? In 1998, uh, right before the year 2000 fiasco started. Y2K. Yep. yep, Got out of that. uh, However, I did go back and work another four years to help with the Y2K process. So that was kind of interesting, too. Thankfully, I wasn't in charge. I was just a helper. So I like that. Talk a little bit about what it was like to go into retirement. Did you find it to be easy to step out of working so much and going into retirement, or was it difficult? Well, uh, yes, I found it easy. Uh, Bill was funny because he had worked like 35 years. He Like he had never not worked. He'd always worked. And so he said the very first morning when he got up, I went on to work, and he said he sat by the side of the bed, He said, oh, my goodness, I have no job to do. I I have nowhere to go. What am I going to do? And he said it took him 10 minutes to get over that, and after that he never looked back. He thoroughly enjoyed retirement. He didn't (laughs) mind not getting up, having a suit and tie to put on. He he did great. And uh, the way I retired when I retired in 98, but then I went back for another three years was great too because when I retired I was a supervisor and had a lot of – people responsibilities. When I went back, I only had myself and I kind of came and went. I did exactly what I needed to do. It was fun. Computers are really fun. Supervising is not so much fun. So I got to have an extra three years of just the fun stuff. And so by the time I retired, we were ready to travel and do fun things and financially we could do that. And so we had really an easy transition into retirement and both enjoyed it that's good but I, I will tell you that the reason that you were able to do that is because you and bill were disciplined 
You saved money. You didn't spend everything you made. You sought information. Uh, the two of you came to several of the seminars and workshops I did over the years. And you, uh, you, you educated yourself. And then, most importantly, you followed through. And we knew we wanted to really have a, a good retirement and to us that's traveling. And so that's really what our goals were. You made a comment earlier as we were getting ready for, to do this recording about the uh, round to it. <laughs> you want to share that? <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Yes, when I said to you, one of the things that we always found ourselves doing was, yeah, we're going to go, we're going to get around to it. We're going to get around to it. And I remembered that someone had given us one time a little round wooden coin and on it, it said to it. And they said, here's your round to it. Well, as I shared that with you, you revealed that you were the one. So that was really interesting. Yeah, I had those made up. It was so much fun handing that. Somebody would say, you know, someday I'm going to plan for this retirement. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So, so someday you'll get around to it, right? Oh, yeah, that's it. I'll get around to it. Well, here's your round to it. You no longer have an excuse. And we were really good at that. We, we, we knew what we had to do in some cases. And like planning for our uh, funerals and things, we knew it. But until we see something or have some occasion come up, we never got around to it as, as thoroughly as I wished we had. Well, I, I'm just glad that over the years that we've had this relationship of where the financial side of it, even though it was challenging at times, you and Bill made the decisions to get it done right. And as I've thought about this, you've made me realize that there are things that we can do more to help our clients prepare for this. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't be their spiritual leader. I can't be the, I can't make people do anything. And I, and I'm to the point after 40 years in this business of financial planning and retirement planning, I'm, I now tell people, they said, you're in a sales business. I said, no, I'm in the selection business. I only want to work with people who are ready. They get it and they know they've got things to do. Because I don't have the time, the energy, or the motivation to arm wrestle with people, beg them, plod them, you know, scream at them. I don't have time for that nonsense. <laughs> I only work with people that are serious and want to get things done. And it's always been a pleasure to, to work with you and Bill, uh, and Judy also. But, but every time I see you, it's, it's like a, a nice hug, same with Bill. And um, I can't imagine how much you must be missing him because I know how much I'm missing Every time you come here and I'm, he's not with you, it, it kind of hurts. Mm -hmm. And it hurts a little bit. Definitely a void there. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the, you mentioned the living balance sheet, so I'm going to start there for just a minute. So, so let's suppose somebody has all of their financial stuff prepared. They know what they've got. They're organized. They're working on becoming a world-class saver. And we know, you mentioned earlier, nobody wants to talk about dying. And that's true when it comes to buying life insurance, going to see the lawyer to get the will done, the legal uh, living will, healthcare directive, durable power of attorney, all these documents that need to be done. Most people don't want to deal with that because they don't want to face up to their own mortality. They don't want to think about dying. It's almost like if I don't talk about it, I don't think about it, it won't happen, like you said earlier. Mm -hmm. what, what would you say to people who have that mindset or they just think they're too busy to sit down and do the planning first and let's talk about the financial side then let's lead into please the uh as you describe it the worst day of your life and then the second worst day well 
Yeah, I, I think too that it probably is hard to talk about your own death, but after being through this with Bill, what I've realized is that the one who dies, they're they're that they're done. Their their time on earth is done, and hopefully they've gone to heaven. But the person that's left behind, the person that's still here, they have so much that they have to do. They can't just get up the next morning and all of their automatic income is coming in like it always has. They can't just get up and say, okay, well now, you know, I I have these same bills that I've always had. Their life does not go on in the same way. And without the planning um, financially, to make sure that you are secure, but also the people you have to contact afterwards. Uh, the funeral home was very nice. They gave me this list of things I needed to do, like calling Social Security, calling this, calling that. But they didn't give me all the phone numbers because they didn't know them. They didn't give me exactly what I needed to ask. They didn't give me um, the information I'd have to have in my hand when I called them. And so, uh, it's, it's easy to not talk about your own death, but think about if your partner died or if your child died or if your parents died and you were the one that then had to go the following day and talk to the funeral home. Mm-hmm. You, you, just, you can get prepared for that if you know what's coming. Uh, and like we mentioned about the catalyst of you know, your father and, and uh, I, my mother, my brother, my dad had all passed away, so I had been in that room, and I hate to refer to it as that room because they are so nice. I mean, the funeral home people, every time I've been in that room, have been just as supportive as they can. They're caring professionals. They definitely are. No doubt about it. But the first few times, I was not the person that they looked to when they asked the question. I was just an observer, and so it wasn't as hard for me. But when I was the person that they looked to, and ask these questions, and you're, I, I shouldn't say you, but a, a person normally is not emotionally able to think on their feet real quickly at those times. Um, questions that you know the answers to, all of a sudden, at least for me, they just kind of flitted out of my head. If I had had all that written down in a book somewhere, if, if Bill had done that, which, which I'm doing, but if he had done that, if we had done that together, then all I have to do is open to page five and I could answer the questions. I couldn't do that. And so that for me is the thing that the people who say, I don't want to think about it, that's fine. You're going to be gone. The ones that do have to think about it are the ones that are still here. And that's the type, that's the person that I want to help, the ones that are going to be here. You know, what you're saying is so true because in my 40 years of doing this, I've been to a lot of funerals, there's a lot of weddings too, but a lot of funerals. And I find that if I can convince people to sit down and do the planning, take one day out of your year, every year let's do a review. If you just did it one time a year and we address all these issues, the financial side, what happens in the event of your death, your disability, your retirement, and tie it into a plan, then people are better off. Absolutely. And the thing that we're incorporating, and again, I have to give you credit for it because we did it in the past and then I quit doing it so much because people would resist it and some people got offended. I don't want to talk about that. But now we're creating tools ourselves where we say, we're gradually doing it. Have you checked the beneficiaries on this? Have you checked the beneficiaries here? 
we just had a situation last week where we discovered that a, a lady who kept telling us, don't worry about it, I handle that myself. She had no beneficiary named at all oh. on a half a million dollar IRA. Oh, my word. I said, do you know what's going to happen to this money when you die? She goes, no. It's, it's, going, to go, it's going to be taxed. And it's going to go into your estate. And all of a sudden, it hit her. I said, let's call the company and get the form emailed to us and change a beneficiary right here. And we, we picked up that phone, put it on this table, called the company. They emailed us the form. We filled it out. We faxed it back to them right then, and it was resolved. Wow. And she said, I can't believe this. You know, that's not your account. Why do you do that? Because it needed to be done. Right, exactly. And that phone call saved you tens of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. You got to fix it now because mm -hmm. we get busy and and then we don't want to deal with it again. We don't want to dwell on that. Well, in our conversation with you too, is it was about uh, sixteen months, fifteen, sixteen months before Bill passed away. But again, your living balance sheet. As we went through our policies and pulled them out, I was I was so efficient at everything in a notebook. Problem is, I never looked at the notebook. You did. You were very organized. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you have to look at. You have to look at your organized too, um, but we found some that on him that he had bought when he was quite young, and his parents who had already passed away were the beneficiaries. And so, even though we had all the paperwork in a notebook, we weren't looking at it. And we did the same thing, you know, with you. You got us moving a little bit, and we realized that we needed to get going. If that had not taken place, I cannot imagine what I would have gone through with his deceased parents being beneficiaries. And then, you know, I don't know what would come next, but um, that's why it's so important to go through your, your documents and not assume anything. Um, even after Bill passed away and we had, he had deferred comp, which I think then had been converted into an annuity with a, uh, a company with the state. Well, I didn't have a phone number for them. When I finally got them and they looked up the records, they didn't know who the beneficiary was because the paperwork was in Canada. I don't know how it got there. So I had to find my documentation. Well, thankfully, I had all the paperwork. However, it was from 30 years ago, and the ink had faded, and you couldn't even read it. So it took me about three months to just get things that I thought I had all the paperwork for, which I did have. I just hadn't looked at it recently. All of those types of things caught me by surprise. And so it, it doesn't doesn't help to be efficient and put it in a notebook if you haven't looked at it. And um, if you don't, what I'm doing now is I'm calling all those phone numbers to make sure I have the right phone number for my son to call, make sure that they have my paperwork in the United States, yes. <laughs> not in Canada, yeah. uh, make sure that the beneficiary is who I want it to be. And then I always ask them to send me a, a letter in writing confirming our phone call and what we just went through. And what we should do with that stuff, Marilyn, is put that in the vault section of the living balance sheet. Absolutely. So you have that permanently, and then your sons can access it, and we can help them if need be. Right. But one of the things that we're doing now is we're encouraging people. You have that three-ring binder. You have the, the nice file box we give people. Let's say, let's put this in the vault. Mm -hmm. It's unlimited storage space for you. It's a secure website that each client gets. But it puts you in a position that if you're traveling and you need that information, as long as you have access to a computer, you can log in 
to livingbalancesheet.com, log in as a client login, and you can download it right there. Right. We've had clients use that because of being in a hospital or a family member in a hospital across the country. I'm thinking one out in uh, California. And she was able to use the computer at the nurse's station, download the mm-hmm. documents, the healthcare directive, printed it out, handed it to them, and they took it. Absolutely. Well, you too, I've thought about mine. I, I thought, well, I need to make duplicate copies of all this and put it in the uh, my safety deposit box in case the house burns down. Right. Well, I'd much rather do the vault. <laughs> yeah. More secure. Or maybe both have a hard copy, but definitely the vault. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we're scanning stuff every day for clients. We have a high-speed scanner, so we just tell people, if you don't have a scanner, just bring it in. We'll do it for you. But the thing that I, I want us to focus on right now, if, if you don't mind going there, is talk a little bit more about, everybody can understand the worst day of your life was the day that Bill died, but would you talk a little bit about what you, you've touched on it, but give us some detail about when you referred her to that visit in the room at the mm-hmm. funeral home as being the second worst day. How do you mean that? Talk, walk us through that. Well, again, I, I don't want to put down any funeral homes because they are the most understanding, caring people I've ever been with. But uh, in the room, like I said, were two of Bill's sisters and my son who came along to get himself prepared. But in that room, uh, we had already purchased our vault. We had picked out our spaces, things like that. And so I went in thinking that this would be a very short little meeting and because we had done everything. Well, that wasn't everything uh, they wanted to to they asked questions about him and as they wrote they were really I didn't realize at the time kind of composing his obituary because I didn't have anything pre-written so they were taking some of the facts about where was he born and, and he was in the army different things like that and then they would ask a simple question like you know where did he graduate from high school of course I didn't know him at that time and thankfully his sisters were there but I was asked questions that I do know the answer to, but emotionally I couldn't get them from my depths of my brain out through my mouth, I guess. And so since they were looking at me a couple of times, I I really just broke down. And I remember my head just falling to the table and sobbing and saying, I don't know, I don't know. Um, But the easy ones, like, you know, where where you go to school, those the sisters joined in, so they were able to answer. But then he, they started saying, "Well, he's military, so uh, we wanted a flag on the casket." And then they asked about, "Well, what type of flowers would you want? Do you want them standing up, or do you want them over here?" I don't know. I mean, <laughs> those kind of things they have to be answered. But it was not a question that I had thought long and hard about. It's not one that I would know exactly what Bill would want. And I think most of the time you go in there thinking, I want to do what my loved one would want. So when they phrase the question and say, what kind of flowers would Bill want? My mind just went blank. And, and that would bring me to tears because we'd never talked about things like flowers. You know, we'd never talked about the reception. We'd never talked about, do you want open or closed casket? We'd never talked about what would you like to be buried in? I mean, certainly not. So all these types of things were the things that just sort of brought me to my knees because I felt like 
we'd been married 30 years and they're asking me questions that I should be able to just answer just like that you know just flip out the answer but because it was such an emotional time and because it wasn't a, a conversation Bill and I had had to that depth because he had not written anything down uh, I have not had not at the time written anything down it was it was just difficult it was difficult to know that I couldn't answer those questions as you're sharing that, I'm thinking about the same thing came up with my dad. And because I had taken the time to write some of this down when he was in the hospital. But there, as, as, as much as we wrote things down, there were still some things that we did not anticipate. Like, for example, the placement of the flowers, flag or no flag. And <clears throat> because he was in the Air Force. So we said, yes, definitely we want the flag. The casket open or close, you know, uh, all this came up. And fortunately, because my mom and I and my dad had talked about it some, it was an easier decision, but it was still tough. Mm-hmm. It was still tough. Well, too, you know, Bill was not supposed to die in that procedure room. So I can, you know, I guess that's our reason that we didn't have a discussion. Would you talk a little bit about what his procedure was, what would happen? He had been having um, some heart problems, and he had been wearing this, uh, light, they call it a life vest, that if your heart stops, it would shock you back into, uh, it would like a defib, it would get your heart started again. And, and he had, had absolutely, it had not gone off at all for four months. He'd been wearing this thing for four months. Been no indication that there was any kind of problem at all. But they decided that they needed to go ahead and put a stent in. Well, before they could do that, uh, they wanted, they, they found some, uh, um, some type of, wasn't an x-ray, I forget what it's called, but they could determine that he had some fluid around his heart. So the process was he would go in on Friday, have the fluid removed from his heart, stay in the hospital Saturday and Sunday, and then Monday they would put in the stent. And it was all mapped out for us, so we, we were fine with that. So we went in on Friday, and they had said, that the procedure to remove the fluid around the heart was 99% successful, success rate, and so they didn't expect any kind of problems. But uh, I guess now knowing that, there's the 1% that can have a problem, and I never realized we didn't, neither one of us, none of us, Bill's sister was there with me, we never even in our wildest imagination thought that he would be in that 1%, but he was, and he did not survive that procedure. They um, they found way more fluid than they anticipated, and it was some type of color that indicated much more severity, and his heart couldn't make it, and they spent at least 30, 40 minutes trying to keep his heart beating, and it just wouldn't stay. So I guess in looking back, I see that, you know, not expecting, not anticipating his death to be so imminent, like with your dad, that we hadn't talked about things like, you know, do you, what do you want to, what suit would you like, and the, you know, what kind of flowers, and do you want open and closed caskets? So those types of questions are probably not something that you want to talk about, but if, if you do your own book of information, that would be something that I'm putting in my book. You know, do I want? What do I want? Uh, if I, I'm not forced to have the conversation with my son because I'm not sure he could handle it. But to me, 
there are, and I really don't care. I mean, I really don't care if it's open or closed. When I'm gone, I'm in heaven. I really don't care. (laughs) But the point is that I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for my son because he's going to be asked that question. And since he's not going to know the answer, if I have it down in writing, then all he has to do is open to that page and say, well, here's what mom wanted. See, I was about to ask you a question, and you just gave me a major aha there, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Okay. I was going to ask you, what do you say to the people listening to this who say, I don't really care. I don't care if the casket's open or closed. I don't care if you put me in a tuxedo or I'm wearing my blue jeans like my dad wanted. I want blue jeans in my Western shirt. He told us over the years what he wanted. <laughs> That's great. He said, don't you dare put me a tie around my neck. You're going to come back and haunt you because <laughs> he hated wearing ties. <clears throat> but I was going to ask the question, what do you say to people who say, I don't care about that. Do whatever you want to do. Well, you just answered it. The real answer is to make your loved one's life easier mm-hmm. and as much as you can provide. And if there's something you don't care about, you say, hey, I don't care about it. Right. You decide. Well, and I have an answer for those people who want to say, I really don't care. Do what you want. My, what, If Bill and I had had this conversation two years ago, and he had said that, I would have gotten out my little book where it asks those questions, mm-hmm. and I would have filled it out for him. Right. And I would have handed him that piece of paper, and I would have said, okay, this is what I'm doing. And if it's okay, you just initial at the top. But if it's <laughs> not, then, you know, if you don't want to wear a purple dress, perhaps you ought to tell me that you don't <laughs> I, want to do that. I could just see you doing that to him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, again, you're not doing it because you really – you don't care. You're right. You don't care. I mean, I don't care. But I don't want my son to have to make a decision in that room with those people sitting there staring at him. He's the only one that can answer the question. Uh, I have two sons. The other one is not, not going to be that much help. I hope he doesn't hear this recording, but he, he lives out of town. So I know it's all going to fall to my oldest son. Um the answer is nobody really cares, probably. But when you're in that room, you feel like you need to do what your loved one would want you to do. And if you don't know that and it's written down, that's wonderful. If you don't know that and it's written down, I don't care if I'm in a pink dress or a blue dress, then that's fine, too. But they need some guidance. They, they need to know something. I was on the phone this morning for about 25 minutes with my mom talking about an issue. With two issues, Social Security and her pension, dad's pension with the Florida retirement system. Some things that we're going to work on. In fact, I'm driving over next week to sit with her and go through some more of it. But I remember <laughs> I remember my dad saying the last time he could have a conversation was August 7th. And we're talking about some of this because he, he knew it, it was it was close. And mom asked him something. And I remember him, he started to say something. He started to snap at her and he paused and he says, you know, Honey, we've been married over 50 years. I think you're capable of making that decision, so I'll defer to you. And he looked at me, and he winked, and he smiled. (laughs) And I thought about that, and and we had a great conversation. And um, then the following week, I was there, and he died. And he struggled for a week. Mm. You know? And there were many, many times when I... Uh, I would pray, I would even say, just take him, please take him. Don't let him keep lingering like this. Yeah. And 
I know when I, some of the things that got me motivated to work on this was in 2008 when I had open heart surgery. I had my legal documents done, had my life insurance in place, my disability insurance, all that was in place. So I felt at peace about that. I had no problem with that. But some of the things that I knew were not prepared, and that's what first got me started thinking about, okay, I need to go back and, and identify, okay, if I die on that table, where do I want to be buried? So Pat and I had that discussion. You know, what do you want? Where do you want to be buried? What type of service? And that was the first time that we had done that in years. Wow. But it was because of that procedure coming up. Mm-hmm. And, and it was also funny because when they were wheeling me in for the surgery, the guy that was uh, taking me in, he says, Mr. Curry, you know, for what we're about to do to you, you're mighty calm. Are you okay? I said, I'm great. I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace with my family. I'm at peace with the financial side of it. You know, I, I prefer that you don't kill me in there, but whatever happens, happens. <laughs> do your best, right? That's right. And he says, wow. He said, I, I predict you're going to be doing just fine. Mm-hmm. I found out later that he was actually one of the doctors. Wow. I just thought he was an orderly, but he, he said, no, I'm one of the doctors who actually helped with the procedure. But as, as we close on this, talk a little bit about what, for those people listening, it's going, wow, that's great. I, I don't have the organizational ability that Marilyn has. Uh, how would how would you suggest they get started? What would you recommend? How, how do people get started with this? Well, I'm assuming that they would have a, a funeral home in mind, at least. Um, that they, that if they passed away today, that that's where they would be taken. So I think probably one of the things is just to go to the funeral home. And they have some products, uh, like a, a pamphlet, uh, a planning guide that they can give them. And they can look and see what are some of the questions that the loved one's going to be asked afterward. Um, your spouse, uh, your pa- the parent, um, and, and things that would be helpful. Um, the other thing, too, is to just, they could get ready by just reviewing all of their financial side and do a checklist of, again, like the living balance sheet, but just everything that they think is going to be left to their their spouse or their children and make sure that it's uh, the way they want it. It's got the right beneficiary. Another important thing is a phone number. I spent many, many trying times trying to find the right phone number to call, especially like for Social Security, different things like that. Just, just get ready like that. Um, so I think that there's, there's just either go to the funeral home or to somehow get a checklist like, like the ones that we've talked about, mm-hmm. where they would know the next step. You know who to call. I, like Bill and I, you know, most of our utilities and things like that were in both of our names. Some of the things were not, and I found that without a death certificate. I, I couldn't even change the billing of my phone. <laughs> just blew me my mind. Yep. So, just look at your day to day things that you that you have that are automatic. Uh, oh, that's another thing I didn't even talk about. Um, if one of the the husband or wife is the automated person of the family and they have all the passwords to your accounts, Bill never logged into any of our credit union accounts or anything like that. 
make a list of the passwords, you know, all the things that, that you're the only one of, of your couple that does something, write something down. Uh, my brother just went through some serious surgery, and his wife has no idea what the passwords are to their online accounts, um, nothing, because he's the one that does all the automation. So just the things that you're the only one that does them, just make sure you have something written down. Just have a conversation with your spouse and say, if I was to die in an accident tomorrow, would you know how to do this, this, or this? Or even a worst case, a husband and wife say to their children, if I was, if we were both in an accident tomorrow, would you know how to do this, 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 and this? Um, I'm even going so far <laughs> writing my own obituary because my son, he would <clears throat> probably write down, well, Marilyn was born in Minnesota. She moved to Florida. She died. She went to this church. She was part of this organization. And I thought, okay, that's four, four whole sentences. <laughs> I would like a little bit more. A little so, more detail. And it's not anything except he's just not a writer. He, he just wouldn't know what. So I'm even doing that, writing down the, the facts that I and probably I'll finish it off and do the, the full obituary. But I think just look at the things around you and see if you were to just disappear right this minute, what would the people left behind have to do? What, what is it that they don't know? That's, that's where I would like people to start is just imagining that. Wow, that's great advice. And one of the things that we're doing now is we're giving people that we work with our own version of a planning guide mm -hmm. to get them started. But let me tell you two ahas I just got out of this session today where you've helped me, where I can help a lot of other people. We're going to start collecting the phone numbers for them and encourage them. If you don't have the phone number on this account, let's get it. And also the passwords. Yep. Encourage them to have a password sheet. And we can, in the past, what I've done is we'd keep a hard copy in the client's file for those people who needed help with it. And we'd put it in an envelope, have them initial it and date it. And that envelope was not opened unless there was some type of tragedy. But the two ahas I got that, that really hit me is helping clients by making sure they have phone numbers on every account they've got. Mm -hmm. We don't do that. Never thought about it until you just mentioned it. Just assumed that on their statements they would have it. Well, they were there, but it was the phone number for the financial person billing. It wasn't the phone number. Yeah, so I, it's, it's trial and error. The fortunate thing is, is over the years, I know I've handled over 30 death claims, whether it be... Uh, life insurance or retirement accounts over the years of my own clients. So I have experience in dealing with this. But I like just picking up the telephone and calling, and we've done it in your case a few times over the years, you, you and Bill. Just call the insurance company or the mutual fund or the annuity company or deferred comp or state or government, whatever it is, and talking with people and getting the details. Mm -hmm. But what you just did for me is somewhere within that account information, put in the phone number. Right. And, and we do a lot of that now in the vault, but, but I've got an idea of how to do that. All right. Anything else that you want to share before we uh, close? I think I've rattled on enough. And, and uh, I, you know, I, I don't know if all the things that I've said have been in a, an, an sequence and an order that will help other people. But I think if they do anything, if, if they talk about something with their spouse, if they start to make notes about themselves, things that they might want to do, uh, things that they would wonder. Like I said, if, if I was in a car accident today, 
who is going to have to take care of the details, and that's the person that you would want to have something written down for them. Just just helping them. Like I said, you're going to be in heaven, hopefully. And so the, the, I'm not worried about myself. I know what's going to happen to me, but I don't want to leave a real mess behind for those that have to continue here on earth day after day after day and have to deal with all these things as well as go through the grief. Well said, well said. I just want to thank you for your friendship all these years and the confidence that you and Bill place in me and working with me over the years. And and uh, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be of service to you all these years. And I consider you a friend and it's, it's always a joy to see you. Thank you. Same here. <laughs> thank you. And uh, thank you for sharing. Thanks. Thank you very much. I enjoyed this. And this is very beneficial. I'm sure people will benefit. If you'd like to know more about John Curry Services, you can request a complimentary information package by visiting johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Again, that is johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Or you can call his office at 850-562-3000. Again, that is 850-562-3000. John H. Curry, Chartered Life Underwriter, Charter Financial Consultant, Accredited Estate Planner, Master's in Science and Financial Services, Certified in Long-Term Care, Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Securities Products and Services and Advisory Services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial Corporation is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities. Park Avenue Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this material, we are not undertaking to provide investment advice for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact one of our financial professionals for guidance and information specific to your individual situation. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Guardian and its subsidiaries, agents, or employees do not provide legal, tax, or accounting advice. Please consult with your attorney, accountant, and or tax advisor for advice concerning your particular circumstances. Not affiliated with the Florida Retirement System, the Living Balance Sheet, and the Living Balance Sheet logo are registered service marks of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York, copyright 2005-2020. to This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Security or guardian and opinion stated are their own. 2020-93791 expires January 2022.